0: Welcome to Fireside Chats on the Young Mind, brought to you by Old Firehouse School. My name is Dorothy Stewart. I'm the executive director and the owner of Old Firehouse Schools. We did a podcast a year ago to discuss how preschools were doing, especially since there's been such a big shortage of teachers and enrollment was down everywhere in all preschools. We talked about the state of preschools and how hundreds have closed over the last two years. But this podcast, we're going to talk more about the children and what we are seeing in our classrooms, what science is discovering about children's development, and what we can do as the pandemic continues. I want to remind everybody as we talk about the topic that the human species is incredibly adaptable and flexible and resilient. What we're going to talk about today is some preliminary research. It's certainly not the end of the story. We won't know the end of the story until these children grow up. And so there's lots of time to for things to turn around, to change, to get better, or to get worse, we hope, for the better. So this is just our take at this particular moment in time in terms of what we found out as we've reviewed the research and watched children in our schools. We talked with a few teachers in both preschools and in kindergarten. We wanted to see what they are observing. What are some ways Madison children need extra support now? I've noticed a lot more anxiety in the classroom and
1: that looks like the basic fight, flight, and freeze situation where a child is presented with choices of what they could potentially do next and They're so anxious about potentially doing something wrong or not being safe that they freeze and they don't do anything because they're just nervous or scared. They've spent so much time not having choices out of safety, out of fear of society and their families and their parents needing to make decisions for them and When their parents are making choices, they're seeing the anxiety in the choices that their parents are having to make. And I think that that could potentially be weighing on their shoulders that having to make a choice for themselves is scary. So now part of our job is being able to confidently and calmly make choices, model making choices in front of our children and give them as much practice as possible making choices for themselves, and reassuring them that no matter what they choose, they're safe, they're loved, and they can explore.
0: This is Hannah, a kindergarten teacher and former OFS substitute teacher.
1: So I
2: can tell the difference between kids who did preschool, did TK, because their social-emotional skills are there. They're able to talk and communicate, and so their academics have excelled more than the kids who have never been in school, only been around parents, never been around other kids. They're still trying to learn how to communicate, and so they've got so much going on in their brains right now with that that they can't retain even their name. They can't recognize their name. They can't spell their name, and so one thing at a time for them. I have one student right now that has knows how to read, knows all 86 high-frequency words, knows all letter upper and lower case, but won't do any academics with me. He's only been around long. He won't talk to me. He won't go to the bathroom because he doesn't know. And he won't play with his friends. He stands on the playground. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to walk in a line. He doesn't know how to follow directions. Academics are not the issue. Nope, it's
0: all social. All social. This is Susie, a preschool director. Well, we've been noticing children coming and surprising us because they seem much younger, say the two-year-old's coming. They don't have as much language and also even in their behavior appear like toddlers. Sometimes they're seeming almost like they might be on the spectrum because of not seeming like they have an interest in us children, not making eye contact, not maybe knowing how to engage with the materials and so forth, but that actually it's a lack of having interaction with other children and people. So it's just a whole variety of things that I think other directors are noticing too. I'm here with Chelsea Bryson, Assistant Director in San Rafael, and Madison Montoya, a lead teacher at our Lafayette campus. Chelsea, can you tell us what research says about children during this pandemic, or at least what research is suggesting at this preliminary time? Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing exactly what the research is talking about in regard to
3: the social-emotional changes that we've seen in children presently that we hadn't seen pre-COVID. I recently attended the 13th annual Early Childhood Mental Health Conference, where I attended a session called Bunker Babies, the effects of COVID-19 on young children's development. This specific session looked at the developmental effects the pandemic had on our children's well-being, and the overall findings were actually quite worrisome showing negative effects in children's language and social emotional development. There are clear differences between children born pre-pandemic and children born during the height of the pandemic between March 2020 and December 2020. The most notable difference were in fine motor development, gross motor development, and social emotional development, which is also what we're hearing from our teachers. It's likely some of this is a result of masking and social distancing. Children aren't getting out into the world in the same ways that they were pre-pandemic and children aren't experiencing the same interactions like before. For example, a child out shopping with their parent isn't having the same experience of people smiling at them. And like you said earlier, they haven't enrolled in childcare centers or preschools to get those interactions.
0: So, Madison, you're also seeing more
1: aggression in the classroom? Yes. And when I say aggression, or when I say fights, that doesn't necessarily mean physically, often that can look like yelling and physically showing anger, or being upset and in their whole body, even if it's not necessarily fighting with another person or thing or their environment. Mm -hmm. You can just see it in their body.
0: Well, I think adults are feeling like that too. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: I think that there was always some of that, but I think that the percentage has gone
0: up. Ah, yeah. So what seems to be the case is that some developmental issues are exacerbated by the anxiety children and families may be feeling but not all children are necessarily feeling the effects of the pandemic the same way. What are some ways families need support or are different than three years ago?
3: Well, one thing that was in the back of my mind heading into this school year is the fact that the children who are all starting in our toddlers and twos programs right now were all born either during or very, very close to the COVID lockdown in 2020. So for a lot of these children, being in group care might be one of their first experiences interacting with people outside of their home, maybe ever. These children would likely have a harder time separating from their caregivers and with transitioning into the classroom. And I know for families, it's very important for teachers and for all school staff to just really be as supportive as possible and offer families a great deal of patience and try to keep those communication lines open. I've had the opportunity to be in most of our schools this fall and just seeing the way that the teachers are providing a level of support to parents and children at the same time has been really great. Seeing teachers collaborate with parents through difficult drop-offs, helping them create a ritual before coming into the classroom during these tough transitions, checking in with the parents throughout the day, whether that's sending a quick email or asking their directors to follow up with that family and let them know that things are going well. Just wherever possible, I'm really noticing that teachers are trying to create an atmosphere inside of our classrooms and inside of our school that's providing a level of trust for all of our
1: families. I'm just trying to make sure that I'm checking in to see how the children are doing every morning in front of the parent, as well as checking in on the parent and how they're personally doing as much as they feel comfortable sharing with me. And I feel like it's really important to build the connections with the parents and the family members that are at Pick Up and Drop Off and the nannies and and show that we are a team and that we are a community and that we're really in this together to support each other. And I think that that really is helpful for the children to see that we're taking care of each other and that helps everybody sort of be at ease. There is a lot of body language that parents show when I just ask like, and how are you doing? I can see their shoulders relax. I can see them sort of take a breath. And I can also see when there's stuff going on and maybe they don't have the capacity to go into everything, but they can just give me a look and we both have an idea of of what that means. And that's important too, that communication in multiple ways.
0: Both of you are talking about how families and children have been affected in this pandemic and that you're seeing anxiety and behaviors that are worrisome in the classroom. We have to be on the lookout for things like this and we will have to know that there may be a behavior that is influenced by anxiety or just a child out of practice with social skills. These things are fixable. So what ways can teachers and families help children moving forward?
3: Well, overall, I think it's really important for us to note that we really won't know what the long-term effects of this pandemic has had on our children for many more years and until much more research has been done. But what we do know from this particular set of research is that the main things to look for with helping children be more resilient surrounding some of the traumas with COVID are three main things that this workshop really highlighted. And the first one is secure attachment relationships with caregivers, both inside and outside the home. The second is stable childcare arrangements. And the third is limiting the number of caregivers for children between the ages of two and a half and four and research really recommends parents consider these factors when
1: looking for childcare options for their children. So one of the ways that I've been working with the children in our care is by really slowing things down and by remembering that the transitions are often challenging and that's where a lot of the learning is. So making sure that I'm focusing not just on circle times where I've planned quote unquote learning, but really throughout all periods of the day, making sure that I'm paying even more attention to the subtlety of each individual child and how they're expressing either their calmness or their anxiety, or their excitement, and figuring out what works best for them in that moment, which is so similar to the Reggio Emilia approach, 100 languages of a child. And we all have our own 100 languages of how we're expressing and learning and communicating and and caring for each other.
3: We also have to focus on social skills. We have to let children learn the many things that they learn. During circle time, through outside free play, through small group play, they need to learn to read facial expressions, tone, and body language. These are all things that will help children get closer to where they would have been pre-pandemic.
1: One thing that's really important to me as a teacher, especially in early childhood education, is remembering that I am one of the first caregivers outside of the home that the children are interacting with on a regular basis. And what that means to me is I am showing them what it feels like to be loved and feel safe and how it feels in an appropriate way. That love is so important for them to learn how to feel appropriately from
0: somebody outside of the home. And that's my job. I love the way you've made them understand the importance of the security that you're trying to give them security in an age of insecurity for the whole world. We also know that sometimes outside support like occupational therapists or physical therapists will help children bridge these gaps. Families, If your teachers recommend these things to you, please know that we all want the best for your child and that sometimes children do need extra help. The pandemic has been a hardship for us all, so in conclusion, don't see your child's struggles as deficits. We can help all of us move and grow through this worldwide pandemic by shifting our focus to what the children need instead of what pre-pandemic children were doing at this age. People get stronger with challenges. I also think it helps to have such wonderful teachers like Madison and Chelsea to be there for them. So look for good child care. Look for this kind of quality of teachers and look to the future that we will help all these children become stronger. We'll all become stronger because of this. Thank you to Chelsea and Madison for sharing your insights. The children are very lucky to have you In their lives. Thank you for listening to Fireside Chats on the Young Mind. Please follow Old Firehouse School on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter, and subscribe to our podcast. We are getting to be everywhere. Thank you again for listening.